1: here comes the relief from the pain. Unapologetically, this is Luck and Load with Bill Frady. Hour number
2: three this is lock and load it occurred to me as i was you know normally when i have super dave on he's either first hour or third hour and i was just thinking okay super dave's here so this is the end of the show and of course not so i've not done third hour got to do the third hour first so forgive me for the faux pas this is lock and load um You know, one of the things that I do is I I, where I go to get my back cracked. My chiropractor lives in my old neighborhood. His office is in my old neighborhood. So when I go down there, I can go back and I can relive things from, you know, back from the 60s and the 70s. And um, like visiting my elementary school, took away two things from that. Everything was smaller than I remember it. And the rules and the practices of that place, which was untouchable to me back then, like a law hounded down from on high to run my life, it's just the distant thing of a distant tribe. It's only serious to the tribe, but it's powerless to touch me. Recently, a federal judge ruled that a U.S. law that bars people from possessing firearms into post offices is unconstitutional, citing the Bruin decision, expanding, you know, that re You know, in their words, they expanded gun rights, but it actually just renewed them. It just reaffirmed them because Emmanuel Ayala, a uh, U.S. Postal Service truck driver in Tampa, had a concealed weapons permit and kept a Smith & Wesson 9mm handgun and a fanny pack for self-defense, his lawyer said. He got indicted after prosecutors said he brought the gun onto Postal Service property in 2012 and fled federal agents who tried to detain him. He was charged under a statute that broadly prohibits possessing a firearm in a federal facility, including a post office. And Judge Miesel said that while post offices have existed since the nation's founding, federal law did not bar guns in government buildings until 1964 and post offices until 1972. No historical practice dating back to the 1700s justified the ban. Mizell said, allowing the federal government to restrict visitors from bringing guns into government facilities as a condition of admittance would allow it to abridge the right to bear arms by regulating it into a practical non-existence. For some people, uh, some people looked at that and said, wow. And uh, for me, this this is what it looks like when the federal government begins to take a right seriously. When you were in second grade, you had some rights on paper. What do they mean in practice? Your rights ended whenever the teacher wanted them to. And as an adult, that's flipped. You can walk in, grab five chocolate milks, and take a two-hour recess. Not very very good advice nutritionally, but the point is that when you really have a right, you're the one who decides how to use it. A right that you have to ask permission to use is a right that you don't actually have. Gun control in the US dates to a unique period that began in 1934 and ended in 1994. And that time was characterized by a steady de- steady ratcheting down of federal gun laws every 30 years, 34, 68, 94, and then a f- final flurry of state-level assault weapons bans from 1989 after the Stockton shooting in California to 1994. Until Delaware, Illinois, and Washington passed assault weapon bans in 2022-2023. It was the case that every state with an assault weapon ban created its assault weapon ban prior to that, in the 1989-1994 period. What happened is that in 1989, gun control groups gave up on the multi-decade effort to ban handguns, and they pivoted to the semi-automatic box magazine Feds rifles. In the aftermath of the Stockton shooting, which had been per- perpetrated with an AK. Now, assault weapon bans. This was a new idea. They come. This it was a it was a put together term by Josh Sugarman because he looked at it and he said this will evoke images that will be scary to the general populace. And they th- those bans swept through the handful of states who were receptive to gun control, but that's as far as they went. The edifice of federal and state gun laws dates almost entirely to that sixty-year period, and. The critical thing is that it assumes the non-existence of gun rights maybe in some abstract yankee doodle sense you had a theoretical right to a musket but if that right ever conflicted with how the serious adults wanted to organize society the adults were going to win that's the way they saw it and they'd win so automatically as to not even be aware that there was an alternate view carry a gun in a post office of course that's illegal who would ever carry a gun at a post office And this court case is what happens when mid-20th century worldview suddenly finds itself in an environment where gun rights exist. And that probably makes some people uncomfortable. But when you get deep into gun stuff, it's easy to spend so much time on gear and stats and education and all the rest that you forget how simple gun rights really are. If someone's trying to hurt you, you have the right to stop them. And that's it. That's the whole thing. And this is something that essentially everybody believes, at least when applying it to themselves. So, when you hear people disagree about gun rights, it's rare that they truly reject the underlying premise. It's more that they're processing their gut reaction to actually taking the idea seriously. And if you break it down like that, and nobody actually disagrees with gun rights at a fundamental level, But the negative gut reaction to taking these rights seriously creates cognitive dissonance. And the most effective thing we can do in this community is to help people process this positively. One of the things that seems to occur on a daily basis is the presumption is, especially coming from the left, that we are so much more refined, so much further from where we were during those barbaric days when we had to fight for our freedom from the british and the truth of the matter is we're actually a lot more barbaric today we have lost we've lost manners we've lost mannerisms we've lost uh, the whole idea of polite society and all these other things we we, we we've really really devolved from where we started i mean it, it's a very recent thing i mean you know the 50s were only 70 years ago 60s things began to change but i mean From the 40s through the 50s, everybody was, uh, you know, fairly well behaved. There was crime. Of course, there was crime. There's always going to be crime. There's always has been crime. But it wasn't like it is now. Now, with uh, the advent of social media, now it's all of a sudden it has become one of these things where everybody's famous. Everybody has followers. Everybody has fans. I don't know what all that means. What I think it means, though, is that everybody thinks that they are the center of the universe. And being the center of the universe, of course, they can do things um, without too many thoughts about it. And, of course, they can do things they would not want done to them. Right. So this whole supposition that went on from the 30s to the to the 90s was it, it was always wrong. It was always wrong. Gun rights always existed. Gun rights existed before the United States. The right to defend yourself, you're born with. You're born with it. However, you choose to to do it. If you're a free person, however you choose to do it is up to you. You could get out there and you could carry a garden hoe as your primary defensive weapon, and that's up to you. That's up to you. That's something you're born with. And the, these ideas that they try to come out with, where the adults, as they like to call themselves, can get out there. Oh, you have a right to a musket. <laughs> all of the, all of that stuff is just a bunch of minutia put together to try to make you believe something. I've said many times I've said many times they can only get that which we give to them. And that's about as far as gun control is uh, with their effectiveness. Just look at the blue states. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. This is lock and load going to hold that until, uh, until we get to a little more time to this looking at, uh, you know, 11 years ago on January 25th, 2013, then Chicago mayor Rahm Emanuel came out in opposition of allowing a Chick-fil-A restaurant in the city. And, uh, from the horse's mouth, the reason why is interesting, Chick-fil-A's values are not Chicago values. And if you're going to be part of the Chicago community, you should reflect Chicago values. And how did that all work out? Well, Chick Fil A now has about a dozen locations in Chicago. What else does Chicago have to illustrate its so-called values? Now, back in 2012, Rom was only in the second year of his eight-year run and decided to get involved in a local zoning matter regarding well-known beefophobes, Chick Fil A. And during the controversy in which the alderman liked, didn't like the CFA's CEO policies, uh, Rom declared the now-immortalized Chicago values line. More than 11 years later, there is still no indication of what those Chicago values are and what they're supposed to represent. And, uh, but it, no matter its representation or meaning, it made a fantastic tagline. So, since then, Rob departed the scene in 2019, and the alderman who started this nonsense is no longer an alderman because of legal issues, so much for the values. So, what do Chicago values look like if they're not Chick-fil-A's values? And we get this from HeyJackass.com. Six thousand two hundred and eighty-nine shot and killed in that eleven-year period. Three hundred sixty-three stabbed. Two hundred twelve beaten. 212 killed via other means. Two hundred sixty-nine shot by police. Ninety-six fatally. Average ten people shot per day from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty-three. January first, twenty fourteen. December thirty-first, twenty twenty-two. Twenty-two days without a shooting and or homicide. Worst day. May 31st 2020 18 homicides 33 wounded 402 mass shootings with 274 killed from 2014 onward 6259 males killed versus 819 females 5597 blacks 1147 hispanics 334 other 135 children 12 and younger murdered homicide age range 0 to 96 average age of a homicide victim is 30 team Austin tallied 3,327 shot 596 fatally every community area recorded at least one homicide 11th district tallied 721 homicides from 2014 onward so is it any wonder why companies are leaving Chicago and people who can't afford it are bailing out as well, or people who can, rather. Even the Chicago White Sox are going to move out of the city. They've got lousy schools and persistent, pernicious growing crime, and there's plenty of reasons that uh, a lot of people are you know, fleeing, and that has nothing to do with the local politician's love of gun control and civilian disarmament. Or apparently, chicken sandwiches. <laughs> uh, let's just let's just talk about uh, the con- the com- you know the places living, leaving. You got a lot of things happening in there. They've, they've got something called the Investing Kids, and uh, this is coming from JB Pritzker. And this is all about school choice, right? It comes down to school choice. Companies leaving Chicago because they don't have a lot of things to. uh, There's not a lot of. uh, Emphasis that's going to be made. To save the city. If it doesn't start with education. That's item number one. Then there's a metropolitan population. The steady decline there. The number of people leaving Chicago continues to grow. And people talk about it all the time and why are they leaving? Like one former resident said, I'm very happy with the move I made to Georgia. It's been six months now, and I'm very relaxed here. Uh, said Deborah Moore. Moore was born and raised in Auburn, Gresham, but recently became part of a trend of residents moving out of the Chicago metro area. She's just outside of Atlanta. She said, other than having family here, I wanted to slow down. I want to have time for myself. I wanted less of a cost of living burden. In uh, In a five-year period of time, 294,000 people moved out of the Chicago metro area. Net. Only New York City and San Francisco saw bigger population declines. And uh, they're losing a lot of working class and blue collar jobs. These are not the people that get paid to think or talk. These are the people that get paid to do. These are the kind of jobs you can't replace with AI. All of this leads. To this doom loop they talk about, right? And uh, considering everything uh, that we know about what goes on with this, we know that uh, this is never. This is not going to be good for the crime that's going on at the moment. It's only going to exacerbate that. Now, 2023 did did end with fewer people killed than it did in 2022 or 2021 or 2020. Well, they had more people killed than they did in 2019, 18, you know. Total of 644 killed, 2,501 wounded in Chicago, which is, uh, you know, this is a place where it's very hard to carry a gun they have they have bans all over the place they have regist- registration regimes going on all over the place and nothing is nothing none of this is working because it has more to do with the fact that they've got they have vilified the police they have decriminalized crime they have uh you know they have a sorosian da in place they can get out there and say uh it's not as bad as it was in the 90s <laughs> Given the below average bordering on flat-out retarded leadership of the city, average of the new A-plus gold star job, well done. Don't ask about the robberies. This strategic plan needs a little more time in the oven. They had 575 shot and killed, 32 beaten, 24 stabbed, 13 killed via other means, 10 shot by police, 23 self-defense, 8 fatally, 94 homicide linked arrests, 8.4 people shot per day. All 365 days recorded a shooting. This is the blue insanity at play, but no guns, you know, you know, the, the law abiding don't have to worry about it. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Low.
0: USA News Update. There is a right-wing nationalist in Texas pushing to create a movement for secession of that state from the union. According to Newsmax, Texas nationalist movement president Dan Miller is calling his idea Texit, and several media outlets are running with it. Police are investigating an attack on officers from the New York Police Department that happened over the weekend near Times Square. Police have been trying to move an unruly crowd outside a building when, according to an NYPD spokesperson, one person became confrontational. Security footage shows NYPD officers struggling to keep a hold of someone in a yellow shirt. They then hit the ground and other men pile on top of them, raining down blows and kicks. A high-speed rail project that will link Los Angeles and Las Vegas has received another federal boost. Brightline West received the approval of $2.5 billion in private activity bonds authority, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation. John Schaefer, USA News. If you're
5: concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com.
2: I need to do my taxes. Are there any self-help options online?
4: Doing taxes yourself? IRS.gov has many self-service tax tools, and they're all just a click away. Prepare and file your taxes online using FreeFile. Use our calculator to estimate your tax withholding. Order a tax transcript. Apply for an employer identification number. Check your refund status, too. IRS.gov, your 24-7 federal tax resource.
5: All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million.
2: This is lock and load. One thing I like about the uh, the gun talk kind of stuff is, uh, for us that are on the Second Amendment advocacy side, as we as we get out there, we uh, when something happens to one of our own, we sit back and we don't just let it die. You know, we 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 know exactly what happened with all of this. We try to find out more and more about it because sometimes it takes us completely off guard. Like what happened to Larry Vickers. That took me completely off guard. Larry Vickers, is uh, he, some, he ran something called Vickers Tactical. And uh, he recently got swept up in a bunch of stuff about NFA violations, having to do with fully automatic weapons. And uh, recently, the Wall Street Journal ran an article on this with some new details. There was a single gun sold online by an Arizona man with a username Mr. Big Coke that played a vital role in cracking the case this guy's name is christopher fiorentino he dabbled in bitcoin real estate and firearms made by the german company heckler and coke hence his username on an online gun marketplace he lived in a wealthy phoenix suburb and owned an aston martin and a mercedes-benz g-wagon and uh investigators at the atf got suspicious when they uh when a dealer in Florida reported that a gun it had purchased Fiorentino appeared to be a highly regulated short-barreled rifle. They discovered that Mr. Big Coke was selling a lot of guns and didn't have a dealer's license, they allege, which, uh, you know, I don't know how that... It, we haven't yet got to that point yet to where you can't sell your private collection, but uh, this is one of those things they use to get get some attention. They used this as a legal foothold to raid Fiorentino's house, which led them to discovering text messages between Fiorentino and, and one Sean Sullivan. They then investigated Sullivan and found out that he and Vickers were working together on what the ATF viewed as NFA violations. Now, here's the statute that they say that they were going up against. Um, It shall be unlawful for any person to to transfer or possess a machine gun. It does not apply with respect to a transfer to or by or possession by or under the authority of the United States, any department or agency thereof of a state or a department agency plot. Any lawful transfer or lawful possession of a machine gun that was lawfully possessed before the date this subsection takes effect. Now, Since 1986, that section of law has prevented the purchase of new machine guns. This is the Hughes Amendment. Subsection 2A creates an exception to to that for government agencies, including law enforcement. And that's what Vickers is charged with conspiring to violate. Now, the way the exception works is that if you're an appropriately licensed FFL, you can import or buy a machine gun if a law enforcement agency asks you to demo it for them vickers was himself an appropriately licensed ffl and had a buddy who was also such an ffl he also had some buddies that were chiefs of the local police departments according to the plea agreement from time to time vickers would text one of his police chief buddies and say in effect hey there's this cool machine gun out there if you jump through the hoop of writing me a letter saying that you're at least theoretically interested in testing it out for your department then i can order it and we can play with it Which, by letter of the law, that is perfectly legal. It's not the spirit of the law, but in court, the letter of the law is what counts. Now, as is tradition, Congress left it up to an administrative agency to write the actual details that matter, and of course, the ATF did that for them. And subject to the compliance with the provisions of this part, uh Applications to transfer or register a machine gun manufactured or imported on or after May 19, 1986 to dealers qualified under this part will be approved if it is established by specific information. The expected governmental customers who would require a demonstration of the weapon information as to the availability of the machine gun to fill subsequent orders and letters from governmental entities expressing a need for a particular model or interest in seeing a demonstration of a particular weapon. So, if the police chief writes you a letter saying he's interested in demoing a particular machine gun, you can buy it. So far, despite the fact that this is violating the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law doesn't matter. It's the letter of the law, and Vickers is still on the clear so far. It is so vague, the law, that the ATF has had to release open letters explaining what they really meant. <laughs> <laughs> when they wrote the regulation, which regulation was itself written by the ATF to explain what Congress really meant when they wrote the law. See, and I don't know why that it was actually part of it. So the ATF had to do the details of it after Congress wrote the law to actually make it work, right? So the ATF said, This is what they meant. And then the ATF had to come out and say, But this is what Congress meant later. Anyway. The latest open letter from January 2023 says, among other things, that the police demo letter has to be written on the government entity's letterhead and dated within one year of the date of the receipt of the application. And those are the formatting details the ATF uses to discern your true intent. But another fun fact is that the ATF the letter gets submitted to the ATF along with your application to transfer this. So Vickers got his demo letters over the years, submitted them to the ATF, and the ATF approved them. And then years later, the ATF looked into it and decided when the police chief said he was potentially interested in demoing the guns, he really wasn't interested enough. So how do you determine how much interest is enough? How serious does the police chief have to be? How, how would you even measure his seriousness? Can he change his mind later? It doesn't say anywhere in the law. But the ATF is free to decide on the answer years after your purchase and then prosecute you accordingly. They can figure out your intent just all over the place. With that background, plus the facts in the Wall Street Journal article, four things become abundantly clear here. Number one, the law is stupid. Number two, the law is widely treated as a silly hoop jumping exercise that it is, and the violations are rampant, at least if you're applying the standard that they applied to Vickers. And thought exercise, what percentage of demo letters lead to a purchase order? Number three, you can squint at the law and say, hey, the law doesn't say how serious the police department needs to be about buying the gun. If the chief has an idle curiosity about it and there's a .00001% chance that he might one day buy one or use it to educate himself on it, doesn't that technically satisfy the requirements of the law? Technically, you would be correct. And number four, a rational actor would recognize that all of the above simultaneously is true and absolutely does not matter in the eyes of the ATF or the courts. So if you're right and the law is wrong, you're still going to go to prison. Being right is not a safe legal strategy. So what what can we take from this? Well, first, you have the responsibility to be effective for your loved ones and for the causes you care about. And you can't do that from prison. So you should have a strong bias against doing things that will put you in prison. Second, there's a common counter to the don't go to prison advice. What about civil disobedience? Some would argue you have that duty to disregard bad law in order to undermine them, and if the cause you're working towards is the repeal of the bad law, going to prison is going to be effective for that cause. Okay, now might might be a good plan, but but the first point still holds. It is self defeating to throw away your freedom loosely. And empirically, there's a lot of more people silently rotting in prison because of bad laws than there are people whose conviction did anything to reduce the chances of the next person's conviction. And third, wait. This wasn't civil disobedience. This was some guys who like money and cool guns playing the world's most dangerous game of hopscotch in the NFA just so they could get some money and some cool guns. It was consumerism and self-interest, and that's fine. It's good because the effect is the same, but profit makes that process that it produces more effect, more you know, more sustainable. Civil disobedience is useful even though it's costly to the individuals who practice it. So... We'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Load.
6: Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203.
7: That's 877-878-4203. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says, if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy, says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least a 100 and have a great time getting there.
2: firing my faux ball in the last hour hey. this is lock and load here in my state of south carolina we are uh, the the uh, state senate is considering permitless carry and what do we hear you know uh, rob and i talked about this earlier uh permitless carry um has never resulted in anything bad on any societal level, but still we get the fear mongering uh, about this disastrous consequence of allowing us to exercise the Second Amendment freedom, which just like the carrying it in the uh, in the post office, where you begin to take seriously the idea of a right, the idea of not having to have permission of the state to carry a gun which is a right to self-defense um now you're getting now you're getting into the gist of it now because we have so many so many states now practicing permitless carry there's some new data that shows that expanding rights for responsible gun owners and actually punishing gun crimes make states safer And this is from Ohio. The Ohio Attorney General David Yost, released in January. Six of Ohio's eight largest cities saw less gun crime after the state's constitution. Let me try that again. I can speak English, swear to God. Uh, Saw the state's constitutional carry law take effect. In June 2022, they became the 23rd state in the nation to legalize constitutional carry or permitless carry, as I call it which allows residents to carry a concealed firearm without having to undergo a burdensome and time-consuming permitting process. And right now we are at 27. Now, Ohio's law, as well as constitutional carry laws in other states, still prohibits certain people from buying or possessing a firearm, like felons, people convicted of domestic violence, and individuals with serious mental health conditions. These people get guns anyway. It's always been illegal for them to have them. This is not, and by getting out there and saying you don't have to have permission of the state, that did not make that a legal thing. That's another thing they say. This will, we, we won't know. We won't know who the bad guys are. Yeah. Yeah. Legal gun owners in Ohio are also still prohibited from carrying inside schools and government buildings and are not allowed to consume any alcohol while carrying, also tracking with other states. As has been the case whenever conservatives advance pro Second Amendment legislation. The Ohio leftists vehemently opposed the institution of this and insisted it would lead to a rise in gun violence. There'd be blood in the streets. Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther called permitless carry reckless and dangerous, while the Ohio Democratic Party predicted the change would make all, all Ohioans less safe and increase gun crime. So, this happened in 2022. What did the data look like now? Well, data cited by Yost's office shows what, you know, the exact opposite has occurred. In the capital of Columbus and Ohio's largest city, the rate per 1,000 residents of crime incidents involving a firearm declined from 10.79 in the period June 2021 to June 2022. One year before that, to 9.55 in the period June 2022 to June 2023. One year after constitutional carry took effect, every other major city in the state except Cincinnati and Dayton saw a similar decline. In Cincinnati, they had a slight increase from 12.91 to 13.56, Dayton from 7.57 to 8.04. Now, this is not downplay. The very real problem of crime in many neighborhoods in their cities. And uh, as has always been the case, gun violence destroys lives, families, and opportunity. But he said the key takeaway from the study is that we have to keep the pressure on the criminals who shoot people rather than the Ohioans who responsibly exercise the Second Amendment right. But this, I mean, okay, so this is Ohio, but this simply reemphasizes decades of data that show both constitutional concealed carry and open carry laws, which also allows an eligible person to own a gun, carry it unconcealed on their person in public. They are associated with less violent crime and less gun crime. Now, back in 2015, then state representative Matt Gates of Florida was highlighting how department of justice data showed violent crime was 23% higher in non-open carry states, as he lobbied unsuccessfully for an open carry bill, but the Sunshine State Republicans successfully passed a constitutional carry bill last year, and the signed it into law and Although there isn't yet enough evidence to draw a direct link between the passage of constitutional carry and a decrease in a decrease in gun violence, Florida de- did see an overall ten percent decrease in gun deaths and injuries in twenty twenty three compared to 2022, uh, 2022, including decreases of up to 20% in some cities. In Alabama, a state that ranks among the worst per capita for gun violence, constitutional carry took effect on January 1st, 2023. And uh, again, defying leftist predictions, more violence, gun deaths saw a modest drop from 1,277 in 2022 to 1,141 in 2023. Meanwhile, the city of Birmingham saw its first drop in homicides in five years, while violent crime in Montgomery was down 10% last year compared to 2022. Just to the east, Georgia legislators implemented constitutional carry in April uh, 2022. In 2021, there were a total of 2,200 gun deaths in the state. In 2023, that number dropped to 1,897. In Atlanta, homicides dropped 21% in 2023, as police focused on targeting illegal gun ownership and criminal gangs. Then there's Vermont, which has had permitless carry for the longest period. They've never passed any restrictions on the practice, and they have had permitless carry since its admission to the Union in 1791. It also has the lowest homicide rate in the country, along with ranking among the states with the lowest violent crime and gun crime and vermont's two neighbors new hampshire and maine all, have also had constitutional carry since 2017 and 2015 and they consistently rank among the top five safest states in the country per cdc and of course many of these gun death statistics are already inflated by adding any figures for suicide by gun but despite the data suggesting that upholding the second amendment leads to less gun violence the blue states and Democrats in Washington are still trying to further restrict the rights of responsible gun owners. Which I don't really understand that because here's the thing. Um, All this stuff uh, is, is out there. All of these figures are out there and available to anybody who wants to look it up. So when they're trying to... And the only reason that I can fathom possibly is that the citizens of these states where uh, it doesn't work out, like right now in my state, my state is one of the most apathetic states I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely apathetic. And um, it's not a big enough issue for some people. For some people, it's a huge issue. For, some, for others, they don't even think about it. So I don't know where it goes. We're going to see where it goes. After I get done with all of this, I'm going to be texting some, some info to a state senator who is uh, trying to get it passed and right now? But I mean, it got passed in the House last year, and it's been sitting in the Senate since last year, and it got tabled. And now they're taking it up now, and uh, the hope is that they, you know, manage to get something out of it. But you know, I'm not counting my chickens before they're hatched. Simply because of the apathy. The apathy is is the killer, absolute killer so permitless carry is a good idea it has always been a good idea it will continue to be a good idea and uh well that's just those things that's just one of those things where we get out there and we're going to have to keep pushing it because they're going to lie about it that's how they do what they do this is how they get what they get once again Back to that whole adage: All they can get from us on gun rights is that which we allow them to have by not doing anything, right? By, by just sitting back and being apathetic, that is, in fact, oh, you know, giving them something. You have to you have to put up some uh, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of resistance to their ideas and to the things they say. It's a it's a very simple premise, very simple. Now this time. I will be back in 21 hours in between now. and Then remember this, it has never been about gun control. Not once, not ever. It has been, and it is always going to be, about total control. This has been Lock and Load.